episode 117, The Health Impact of Artificial Intelligence. Today, I speak with Michelle Snyder from WellTalk. American healthcare entrepreneurs and executives you want to know. Talking. Relentlessly seeking value. I told Michelle after our conversation that for every question I asked her, I crossed off three, but only because this is supposed to be a 25-minute show and not a three-hour Q&A marathon, which this interview easily could have turned into. Michelle is the chief marketing officer over at WellTalk. WellTalk's customers are employers and payers, mostly at this point. And amongst other things, they've developed the Cafe Well health optimization platform, which uses artificial intelligence to deliver consumers and employees personalized guidance and incentives to optimize their health. My name is Stacey Richter, and this podcast is sponsored by Aventria Health Group. Welcome to Relentless Health Value, Michelle. Thank you, Stacey. I'm happy to be here. Lately, it's been artificial intelligence, this machine learning that everybody's doing it, but it seems a little bit nebulous what exactly they're all doing and whether if you tap three people and ask them for the definition of AI or machine learning, how many answers you'll get. I'm going to suggest probably three to five. <laughs> so today I'm really looking forward to getting the, the skinny on these goings on. When you're asked to define artificial intelligence, how do you tend to do so? Well, that's a great question because I think you're right. It is many different things to many different people. And in particular, when you ask people about AI or, or you know, IBM Watson, who is the partner we work with, many people think of Jeopardy, right? And the computer beating the contestants there with Alec Trebek. So the interesting thing that I've definitely learned over the last couple of years, and, and just as a note, we were IBM Watson Health's first consumer health partner in this space. So the first company to try to take IBM Watson and cognitive computing technology and leverage it in the consumer health space. The first thing you will learn actually is that it's really just this technology that doesn't do much on its own. So the real trick is that it's actually not intelligent on its own. What makes it intelligent is you training. So building up a corpus of information and training Watson. And the more training that you do, the smarter it gets. And so it's so interesting from a product development perspective, because when you first launch your product or service using Watson, it's very, very likely. In fact, I would say it's not likely to be as good as it will be a year from then or two years from then, because that's the beauty of machine learning is it's taking more and more information over time, refining answers and coming back with more specific results for you. What does training mean? You know, that's another term that you keep, that I keep hearing anyway, you know, like we're, we got to train this. And the picture that pops in my head is, I don't know, it, it kind of looks like grammar school. <laughs> <laughs> what does training mean? Sure. No. So it's a good idea. So training means that you have So I will give you an example. We just launched a new service called Virtual Benefits Advisor. And this is a service that we developed that came out of talking with many of our large 
health plan and employer customers about their big pain points. And given that it's open enrollment and season right now and everybody's thinking about benefits, one of the big pain points that came up for everybody was their members or their employees not understanding their benefits when something happens to them, them running around trying to find all their papers, trying to go online, trying to call the customer service reps at the health plan and you know, trying to figure out what's covered, what's not covered. So that was one of the th- first things we tackled is for a major health plan, we took all of the benefits information that they had available and trained Watson which means that you feed that information and create this corpus of information and then you train it. So you start asking Watson questions about the information. And the idea is to keep asking it questions and seeing what answers it comes back with. And then, you know, basically telling Watson that's right or that's not right and continuing to ask questions till you get to the point where, you know, it's answering 95, 96, 99% of the questions right the first time. Does that make sense? Well, sort of. Maybe I'm just a little bit OCD with the details here, but I'm picturing a schoolmaster with a stick. (laughs) 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 When you talk about asking Watson questions, I mean, is it some sort of computer program where you, you know... So we actually have humans. So we have people on our team Mm -hmm. that are actually doing the questions and refining and seeing what answers Watson is coming back with. That's the training part of it. And is it like you ask them, you type them in, and then Watson pops back with an answer, and then it's some sort of computer program? (laughs) You know what I mean? Yes, exactly. So you have it right in your head. You're paying attention at school, Stacey. Um, (laughs) That's what happens. And that's what, you know, we have an app where people can then, either through an app or online, you know, within our Cafe Well platform, ask questions about their benefits. And so it's basically having a dialogue with Watson, right? It's almost like a live chat, that experience that you have with somebody, mm-hmm. but you are basically having that conversation with Watson. Not only does the training occur, it sounds like prospectively before the service is launched, but you can also manage to do this live time so that if a customer asks a question and Watson comes back with what you would consider a suboptimal answer that somehow or another within the operation of the system, somebody's catching. There's a place where the suboptimal answers are collected and then Watson is trained based on the, the things that fell through the cracks as well. Somewhat. You're definitely on the right track. So other people may do it differently. The way we do it within our application is that after it gives an answer, the person asking the question, it then asks, did this answer help you? Right. Or did this answer your question? And so a lot of the times what we're relying on is the consumer feedback to tell us, yes, you answered my question. No, you did not. And that's how we continually learn what's working, what's not working, what we might need to train more on. And the advantage of having a Watson as opposed to a human serving this role is A, you can give consistent answers and B, these answers can be given, you know, at three o'clock in the morning. Exactly. So that's the idea, right? 24-7, whenever you have that question, 
you can ask, I say someone, right? But (laughs) you can ask our concierge product. And you're right. So the other thing you said is, I mean, if you think about it, if you're calling your health plan, right, with you have a benefit question, the likelihood that every time you call, you get the same person that knows what you talked about before is probably pretty, 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 pretty small. And so that's the beauty of cognitive computing is that it's the same quote kind of technology understanding that you asked a question like that before. And last time you said the answer wasn't quite right. So it's going to refine the answer next time. And so it's almost as if you have the same person answering your question every time and learning about you and getting smarter about you and your specific needs. Wait a second. So this is not just learning about people in general. This is if I call and it knows it's talking to me and I keep asking the same question, then the answer that is delivered back to me will be special for me. But if somebody else calls, it might be different for that other person. Yes, it's really getting us. And, you know, we're still in the early days with this technology, right? And there are going to be bumps in the road. But the idea is it's getting us to that holy grail in healthcare, right? Of the N equals one personalization. We all know we've been operating under this one size fits all system in healthcare where, you know, most people get the same information, even though we know every single person is unique and has different interests and different needs. So this is really where we're trying to go using cognitive computing technology down to that N equals one personalized experience. So the fact that Stacy, say you and I are both employees at the same company, but maybe you have diabetes and I have asthma and you have children and I don't and you have an aging parent and my parents both have passed away, right? We are both different even though we work for the same company. And so the resources that were served up, the benefits we might take advantage of, all those things are different. And so we have to, the only way I think you can truly in a cost-effective way, get to that N equals one personalized experience in healthcare is you can use technology in a lot of ways, but I think cognitive computing technology can really take you to the next level to get closer. What's your short list of things to do? You know, like, so you're working on this benefit administration service genre. I'm not sure what how you slice off things that Watson knows. Well, what's next or what are you also doing? I would say th- that's the main thing we're focused on right now. It is a it is a huge problem. You can cut millions and millions of dollars out of each of our clients' costs by getting that right. I think another area that we've been looking at is around nutrition and the idea that eating healthy is a is a key part of even if you're healthy or if you have chronic conditions or if you've just come out of an acute episode, there's usually some aspect of thinking differently about your nutrition. And I think that's another place that we're exploring right now. And, you know, I'll just give you an example. One of the beauties of Watson is that it's spatial and temporal, right? So It knows where you are. So if you pull up our app on the phone, it knows where you are. It knows what time it is and can give you very personalized recommendations about eating. For example, say that you were in Austin, Texas on a business trip and you opened up your concierge app 
and knows, for example, maybe that in this, this would be from inputs that you've put in, right? It might know that you're diabetic. It might know that you have uh, gluten issues. It might know that you are trying to eat more fruits and vegetables, whatever it is. So you're in Austin and say you're looking for some place to go to dinner. It's not, you're not even telling it you're going to dinner. It knows it's dinner time. It knows where your hotel is. And you're asking it for restaurant recommendations. It's taking all those factors into account and then bringing up different restaurants nearby that meet those criteria, as well as different menu items at those restaurants that meet those criteria. You know, the really funny thing is that recently I was making an appointment with somebody. You know, we were trying to set up a meeting and I was working with this person's assistant who was named Amy Irving. And at some point in the back and forth, I realized that Amy Irving, get it, AI, was not a real person. <laughs> but it was pretty I cool, it. I have to say. So I had a lovely little chat with Amy. <laughs> so another thing that you had said earlier in an earlier conversation that fascinated me uh, was the idea of the importance of predictive analytics and the idea that yes. predictive analytics and AI are two peas in a pod. There are two peas in the pot. I would probably adjust that a little bit and say they're very complementary. The way that we think about predictive analytics, and it's interesting, so we have, I hadn't talked about this earlier, but we have a software as a service platform. We call it a health optimization platform called Cafe Well, which is the platform where the members or employees of our sponsors come in, they get personalized recommendations for what to do regarding their health and could be a wide range of things regarding their health. But we had built this platform. And then one of the things that we thought about was that, you know, it's great we have this platform, but the real key is getting the right people to the right place in the platform, rather than just having it be, as I mentioned before, in healthcare, kind of a one size fits all where you're just sending everybody to the same place. About a year and a half ago, we bought a very advanced predictive analytics company called Predalytics that was doing some really interesting things in healthcare about thinking about people's risk, receptivity, and impactability. And we thought, that would just be the perfect front end, you know, marriage for our platform because what it allows us to do is, for example, with our clients, and those could be um, provider systems or employers or health plans, we can take information that they give us that could be regarding claims or clinical information. But then we also have this database that Predalytics had built of over 800 variables on 270 million consumers in the country. And these variables have nothing to do with what we think of healthcare, right? It's not about your claims. It's not about your clinical information. It's about things like your voting records, your purchasing behavior, your buying habits, your demographics, right? Things that people normally don't think are related to healthcare, but what you find is they actually can be more predictive to how you will behave regarding your health in the future than your claims and clinical information. And so what we do is with our predictive analytics capabilities, we can take the clinical information, we can take the claims information, then we take all this consumer information. And then the final thing we take is we ask the consumer, it's kind of a duh in healthcare, right? But you would be surprised how many people don't actually ask the consumer 
what their interests are or what their motivations are or what they really want to get done in the next year or two, right? And so we have this getting to know you process. So we take all of that information, build it into a predictive model. And what it comes out with is, as I mentioned before, figuring out who's at highest risk, who's going to be most impacted by an intervention, and who's going to be most receptive. And the reason those two things are really important is, as you know, we have a lot of waste in the healthcare system in, (laughs) in terms of dollars. A lot of it is on the clinical side. But for many of our clients, the fact that we can go to them and say, we can actually tell you which consumers are going to be not only have the highest risk, but are going to be most receptive to your message and actually are going to be most likely to do something. So it's almost like you have this map of people and there might be 10% of the people where you can spend as much money as you want trying to focus on these people, but they are not going to change their behavior. There might be this group over here, this 20% of people over here who just for a small amount of money or focus, you can actually pretty easily get them to change their behavior based on everything you know about them. And the power of that, and you know, it it depends on on our client, what they want to do, but the power of that really is making decisions about, you know what, maybe I'm not going to focus on those 10% of people. Yes, they have a medium to higher risk, but based on all this data, it's going to be a waste of my time and money, right? Whereas these 80% of people over here, they're more likely to be receptive to my message and be impacted to my message. And then the other thing that folds into the receptivity is by what channels will they be receptive? So we can actually predict who's more likely to respond you know, if you send them a text message versus doing an IVR call, right, or email versus text, or direct mail versus email versus IVR. And so to the degree, then you can figure out who's receptive, and what channels you can get them to be receptive, you're starting off at a much better point than actually getting that consumer into the intervention. And so that was a long winded answer, Stacey. But But that's why we think that the power of predictive analytics is so important. And I'm starting to get the connection. So um, considering what the output of this predictive analytics engine is and what I see is a massive lump of data, you know, so you might know all of these things about all of these different people. Then what? Do you have uh, 400 people sitting in a room going, okay, looks like Charlie, you know, Charlie, whatever his last name is, needs, you know, this very specific kind of care. (laughs) So I'm on it, you know, it would, obviously, I can definitely see the connectivity that if you have a Watson or an Amy Irving, Amy or Watson can give Charlie a call, or if Charlie calls in, then all these factors can be taken into account. Or if you're doing outreach, you know exactly what, by which channel to get a hold of Charlie. Yeah, yeah, you're right. Well, and one thing I will say is even, even in the absence of Watson, then what our platform does and the way we've built our platform is to be able to take all this information in. And so, for example, once we understand, let's say, Stacey, that you are a good person to target, you are going to be receptive to the message and you're going to be most receptive to text channels. We will do outreach to you via text with messages that we know are going to resonate with you based on what we know about you. And then when you enter our platform, the Cafe Well Health Optimization Platform, 
your experience will look different than mine. And this is without even, you know, without Cognitive Computing or Watson, right? Just coming into the platform. So as I mentioned before, maybe say you have diabetes and children and you've told us you're really stressed and that's a big priority for you. Maybe I have asthma and my sleep is my issue, right? When we both come into the platform through whichever channel and say, maybe they got me through IVR. When we both come into the platform, your app and your web experience looks different from mine because what it's going to serve up is content and programs and resources that we know are most relevant to you, given what you've told us and the data we have. And then mine will look different with my various resources. And it can even be different to the um, level of reward. You know, that's one thing we haven't talked about. We're seeing an increase among some employers and different health plans and thinking about how do you use rewards to incent behavior. And you know, that's probably a whole other podcast. But the idea is we have seen that rewards do work at least upfront in terms of getting people initially engaged, you know, longer term, the value of monetary rewards tends to go down. But upfront, you know, that's important. Now, the thing most people don't think about is in many sponsors just say, okay, everybody gets $50 to do this in their paycheck. Well, the interesting thing is $50 in your paycheck might be interesting to you, but for me, I would rather have the parking spot in front of my office for a month that they, you know, <laughs> you know, next to the CEO, right, as the perk. You know, our platform can actually do that too, where it's personalizing even on the reward level in addition to the different content that's served up. All right, so call me a data geek, but I'm thinking, you know, variables are exponential. So if I have three variables, there's nine different permutations of those variables, yeah. you, you know, yeah. so if you, you know, we're talking about 200 variables here, and I can't even do that math in my head of just how many permutations there are. So yeah, how does this all work within a, a databasing system to keep track of all of these various factors and offer a unique and relevant pathway, if you want to call it that yeah. to each individual? Well, no, it's a, it's a really good question. So, so we have all this data, but like you said, the key thing is that you have to get it down to a manageable number of choices. I, I don't know if you've read, you know, any of Barry Schwartz's work, The Paradox of Choice, but there's that concept that the more things you give someone to do and the more choices you give them, the greater the likelihood they will do nothing. Right? Yeah, right. And so we understand that very, very well, right? Because if we said, oh, there's this program and that we know all these things about you and here's 20 programs that you might like, nobody's going to do anything. That's where it really is important. You know, like we have all these variables. I mentioned the clinical variables, the claims variables, the consumer data variables. The really key thing is also the information we get in our getting to know you process about what exactly is that is going to motivate that person and get them the most interested in doing something. Based on that information, you know, that's really how we figure out what are the top three things we will serve up to somebody. So you're actually giving them three choices. You're not presuming that you know what they're going to pick and just saying, do this. 
Well, it depends. I think that's a good question. And I, I, I'm just throwing three out there. So, you know, it depends on our sponsor too, like what type of things the sponsor that meaning the employer or the health plan or the provider want the individual to do. But what we know is there has to be a balance because we have some sponsors, for example, that say we want somebody to do 12 things. We have to sequence it in a way so that 12 things are not showing up at once for somebody to do. And then we're usually working with our client. Um, we're figuring out what is most important, you know, mapping to their business objectives. But then we also have to map it to what the individual consumer has said is important to them because we could give them these 12 things that the health plan or the employer wants them to do. But if none of them map up to the things that they said are important, it's going to be probably difficult to get somebody to do something now. The key there is that's where rewards come in sometimes, right? So sometimes the health plan or the employer, there's two things they really, really want the employee or the member to do. Maybe it's biometric screening, right? Or uh, health assessment completion. And they're putting up $100, $200, $300 to do that. You often will see people doing those things, even if they're not that interested in it, because, you know, for many employees, that's real money, $200, $300 in their paycheck. Is this what you're talking about where, and I'm going to just go immediately to the extrinsic intrinsic, because I think sure. we're probably yep. familiar with that. If you offer someone an extrinsic reward, like give them 300 bucks. So what, what you're saying is that that will work up front, you know, it will quickly stop to work, working and it needs to become intrinsic. And that's why you need to figure out what people's motivations are, because unless you can tap into someone's internal motivations, then they're like, yeah, why should I do this? Yeah, exactly. And I, you know, and I'll say, like I said, this is probably a whole other podcast. We actually have a services group at, our, at WellTalk that basically is just about incentive design and reward management because it is actually this science, right? And we have data, a, a company that we bought several years ago is one of the you know early reward companies in the healthcare space. And so we have data on all, over 40 million transactions where, that we've been analyzing, which actually helps us understand if you want this kind of behavior and you give this kind of reward, you might get this percentage of people to do something. But if you give Y reward instead of X reward, you might get, you know, a different percentage of people to do something. It's a science trying to figure out that balance, because in many cases, what we found is there's some activities that our sponsors have been over rewarding for, whereas maybe they've been giving $100 for somebody to do something and they only had to give $50. Whereas in other cases, they might be under rewarding. We did a white paper on this, but it, you really have to look at how much time and effort is involved from the individual to do something for that reward. Because what we had found with some of our customers is that they were basically giving the same dollar amount reward for somebody to do something that maybe took two hours versus a program that was six weeks long. One thing I've noticed, Michelle, as we've been talking here, is that you don't say patients. You say consumers or people or, you know, even employees. Is there a, a reason why you're not using the word patients? I'm glad you noticed that. I've been uh, trying to train the industry. <laughs> yes, there actually is a very specific reason. So as you notice, right, most people talk about patients. And that's that's because 
that's how healthcare is oriented. You know, I, I have a couple of slides up front when I do presentations of pictures of hospitals and doctors, right. And people in, in operating rooms and doctor's offices. And if you Google healthcare images, that is what comes up. That's what people think about healthcare is what I call our sick care system. The reality is for most people, most of the time, that is not healthcare. You, you might be in patient mode, you know, unless you have severe chronic conditions, right? And you're in the inpatient a lot. Most people, most of the time, spend 98, 99% of their time outside of what we call the quote healthcare system. And you're just living your daily lives. Every day I get up, I'm making choices about what I eat. Am I going to exercise today? Things that impact my health. I'm not in patient mode. I'm in consumer mode. That's why we refer to it as consumer health. Our platform actually can help kind of in pre-acute care and post-acute kind of surrounding the episode. But we still consider people their consumers, not patients, because they're making daily choices and they're not kind of within the four walls of the healthcare system. It's interesting how outcomes happen. And yeah. often they're called patient outcomes, but it's pretty well established at this juncture that you don't have cardiovascular disease <laughs> unless you genetics are obviously a factor here. But generally speaking, it's because of things that you did not in your hospital room. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're true. And, and we have a slide in you know, our slide deck that we use a lot that shows you know, a person being chunked up. And, you know, there's been a lot of data on this. Basically, 30% of your health is around genetic factors and kind of things that are difficult to change. But 70% of what makes up your health and wellness and well-being really are around factors like some the things we've been talking about, right, that are environmental or that are up in the individual's control. Besides the things that we've already talked about, like, for example, getting your nutrition product up and running, is there anything else that you're particularly excited about going on right now? We have so much going on. Um, <laughs> you know, what I'm really excited about is just continuing the work we're doing on this path towards getting to the N equals one personalization and just pulling all of the pieces together. So, I mean, this is really, it is hard to build a consumer health platform thinking about it from a consumer perspective versus a patient perspective. So, you know, the, the main platform systems we have in healthcare right now, right, are clinical systems, EHRs, EMRs, revenue cycle management systems, and then the claims-based systems that are around the accounting and enrollment benefits. And it's interesting because many of those platforms are now trying to move towards the consumer, right? Or, you know, many of them will say the patient portal world, but moving towards being more consumer-centric. And one of the reasons it's going to be really hard to do that is they're starting from a different data model. They're starting from the data model of that's built around getting money or or codes or claims. And so building this new data model around the consumer and saying, okay, what's most important is starting with the consumer and understanding their wants and needs and how that maps back then to what the sponsor wants to do. It's just really, really hard. And so it's not a sexy answer that I gave you, but that's the thing that gets me most excited because if we can nail that, it changes the paradigm in healthcare. Where can people learn more about what WellTalk is up to? Should they be interested? 
Our website is a good place to start, www.welltalk.com. And we have a lot of information on the site. You can also email me at optimizedhealth at welltalk.com. And I'd be happy to talk more with any of the listeners. And that's W-E-L-L-T-O-K.com. Yes. Yeah. It was such a pleasure to have you on the podcast today, Michelle. Thank you so much. I really enjoyed it. And as you can tell, I'm very passionate about this area. And I, I've been in healthcare a long time, and I just feel like we are really on the cusp of change now. Links to everything discussed on the program today can be found at RelentlessHealthValue.com. If you visit the website, RelentlessHealthValue.com, you will also find a complete listing of all of the shows that we have published thus far with leading entrepreneurs and executives in the healthcare space today. Another cool feature is, you know, you can subscribe to the show so that every week the episode is automatically sent to you so you don't have to remember to go to the website to download it. Thanks so much for listening.